Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Seabrow, and welcome to a special campaign edition of the Definitive Rap Podcast. The Definitive Rap is proud to be the official podcast of Vinnews.com. This year, one of the most important races in New York City will be for city controller. Today, we are honored to have with us David Weprin, whom Bela will introduce shortly, a man who has a long and distinguished career of public service and is running for comptroller. Some of you may be asking, why do I care who the comptroller is? It's a position which is usually behind the scenes. So let me tell you why it is imperative that every registered Democrat must vote for David Weprin with early voting starting this Sunday. One, David has more experience than any of his opponents. And during our interview today, David will elaborate on that. Speaking of his opponents, and I hate to even mention their names, is Brad Lander, a supporter of the BDS movement against Israel and is endorsed by AOC. And during the debate, he actually boasted of having the endorsement of one of the most anti-Semitic members of Congress. A vote for Lander is a victory for AOC, Bernie Sanders, and every one of her squad members in Washington. Another opponent whose name I would rather not mention, but we must know who will harm us to understand the importance of voting for someone who will support us. And that is Corey Johnson, who led the campaign to expel Chaim Deitch from the city council. I do not have to remind any of you about all of the anti-Semitic attacks and vandalism against shuls, yeshivas, and Jewish-owned businesses for you to understand that anyone who supports defunding the police is someone who will shrug their shoulders when Jews are attacked. David Weprin is the only candidate who opposes defunding the police. David is the only Shomer Shabbos candidate running for citywide office. And I don't have to explain to our audience why David Weprin's election is critical for New York City, but especially for the Jewish community. During our interview, David will elaborate on why he is running, why he is unequivocally the only qualified candidate running for a comptroller, and why early voting, which begins this Sunday, is so critical for the Jewish community. Bela? Thank you, Alan. How does an average citizen choose a candidate? The answer is to look and study the positions they take on as personal issues, issues because it affects their life and the life of their loved ones, and also look and study at the proven leadership qualities and experience they bring into office. Assemblymember David Weprin is a lifelong New Yorker born and raised in Queens, the son of a Cuban Jewish immigrant mother and Brooklyn-born father. He has dedicated his life to public service because he believes that throughout everything New Yorkers have been through, it's about time someone stood up for us. In the city council and state assembly, he passed groundbreaking legislation to help seniors, children, and middle-class families. 
Now, with the city going through the worst financial crisis in history, he's the only candidate running for a controller with a relevant finance experience to get us through and emerge stronger than before. David is running to be our next city controller to stand up for working and middle-class New Yorkers, protect pensions, and get us back on track. David Weprin is an observant Jew and a father and grandfather of Jewish children and grandchildren. He is the only candidate running for comptroller with the necessary municipal financial experience, having balanced the city's budget as chair of the city council's finance committee for eight consecutive years. He guided the city's finances through the post-9-11 recession and the 2008 recession. Previously in his public service career, Mr. Weprin served as the deputy superintendent of banks and secretary of the banking board for New York State currently chair of the New York State Assembly's Committee on Co Correction, Weprin has championed critical legislation reforming our criminal justice system. He has authored groundbreaking legislation, including the Adoptee Bill of Rights and the Religious Guard Bill, and has made standing up for middle-class New Yorkers a central theme of his campaign for Comptroller. Without doubt, David Weprin is admirably prepared to serve as New York City Comptroller. David Weprin, it gives me great honor to welcome you to the Definitive Wrap. Uh, thank you, Bela, and thank you, Alan. I should probably just sit down <laughs> with, that, with those uh, wonderful uh, introductions. You, you gave my whole stump speech. Well, we're but, not done yet. <laughs> David, uh, despite what people might think, being a city comptroller is far from being the most glamorous job. With a city in a precarious financial state, your role is more important than ever. The city controller is responsible for auditing city spending, watching out for waste, as well as overseeing pension funds for more than 600,000 current and retired municipal workers. As opposed to your opponent who was going after the NYPD budget and championing the priorities of the city's left, please share some of your strategies with our listening and viewing audience. How will you handle this fiscal mess? Thank you very much, uh, Bela. Uh, yeah, we actually are going to be okay uh, for this coming budget uh, because of the aid we got from Washington, uh, which helped us at the state level in April and the city level in July 1st. So we won't have a deficit this year, but we're actually anticipating uh, a four to $5 billion deficit every year, uh, starting in a year. Uh, and we can't, uh, you know, we can't spend all the stimulus money now. We have to reserve some of it uh, and make sure it's allocated properly. Uh, and that's something that as controller, uh, we, we can audit. But, um, I, you know, as you mentioned with my finance experience, uh, it's very important uh, that uh, we have the, the someone who's controller has the background uh, to do a few things. One is to, uh, you know, audit city agencies, but, uh, and invest pension fund money because there are five pension funds totaling, uh, $254 billion. So it's, uh, it's actually a quarter of it, over a quarter of a trillion dollars. Uh, and some of my opponents are, uh, planning on, uh, using those pension funds, uh, for political statements. And that's something I'm, I'm opposed to. I think it's important, uh, as a fiduciary obligation to, um, invest that pension funds that we uh, we do it based on getting the best returns on assets. That's something I did uh, on Wall Street. I was on Wall Street for 25 years uh, with major firms. I also chaired the uh, Securities Industry Association 
uh, New York District, uh, which is a trade group, uh, you know, elected by my peers, a non-paying job. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I know uh, finance and I know uh, asset management. And it's important that we get the best returns uh, on, on our assets. Uh, my mom, who you referred to, uh, just turned 91, uh, the uh, Cuban Jewish immigrant. Uh, and uh, she, yeah, and she has a teacher's pension. And she's, you know, she's when she came here uh, from Cuba, uh, my grandparents were originally from Lithuania, her parents, uh, but she was born in Cuba. Uh, and she only spoke two languages when she came here. She spoke Spanish and Yiddish, because those were the languages that were spoken uh, in her she home. Was my first language, so. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, she went to, uh, you know, our schools. She uh, met my father at Brooklyn College, uh, became a, a public high school teacher. And now she has that pension. So uh, I certainly will not be playing uh, political politics or you know, making political statements by uh, divesting from this, divesting from that, forcing companies to uh, change their management decisions for various political reasons. Uh, it should be based on uh, getting the best uh, returns on the asset. Because if nothing else, uh, the city of New York guarantees New York City pensioners a 7% return, which is fine. But there are plenty of years when it falls below 7%. And we don't know what the uh, the climate of these investments are going to be or whether we'll have another recession, uh, whether we'll have a Wall Street crisis as we did in 2008, one of the years that I served as chair of the Finance Committee in the City Council and balanced a budget with a multi-billion dollar deficit. Uh, so if we fall below that 7%, it's up to the City of New York general budget to make up the difference. And that could be in billions of dollars. And that would be on top of the multi-billion dollar deficit that we're expecting, the four to five billion dollar deficit. So that could be go back to the 70s. I don't know if you remember in the mid 70s. You're not old enough to uh, to know this. But uh, when uh, I was around uh, in the mid 70s and, uh, you know, there were libraries and schools that were built but never opened because they couldn't afford it. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Young Israel Jamaica States, uh, Bela. Uh, w- w- was uh, started out uh, using the library uh, on Union Turnpike uh, off of 188th Street that never opened because of the fiscal crisis. And my late father, uh, who was Speaker of the Assembly, Saul Weprin, uh, actually arranged uh, for the Young Israel Jamaica States uh, to use the library uh, as a temporary headquarters without charge. Uh, and uh, that's where they started the Young Israel Jamaica States when they were building a new building uh, on 188th Street at the time. So, uh, you know, I'm obviously proud of that, uh, that background, but we, we can't go back to the 70s and the fiscal crisis. So it's very important that we get a good return uh, for our pensioners. One of the other things I've been saying is that we need to have a more audit, uh, frequent audit schedule. The uh, city charter only requires the controller to audit uh, some aspect of every city agency once every four years. Uh, I think we should strive to audit every agency every year. Uh, there are a lot of wasteful spending in, in you know, uh, places that have never been audited. Uh, Mayor de Blasio's wife uh, runs one of those multi-billion dollar uh, new agencies called Thrive New York. Uh, that agency has not been audited. Uh, that should be audited, uh, as well as um, some of the large outside contracting budget. The, uh, the outside contracting budget of the city of New York now is about 20 percent of the overall budget. And the budget in the city is now almost $100 uh, billion. It's 98.6. 98.6 may be a, a good number if you're taking your temperature. I'm not so sure if such a good number when you have such a huge increase from the year before 
uh, of the city budget. So uh, that's something I certainly would try to uh, get a handle on. Uh, we have to, uh, you know, have fiscal responsibility. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very proud. And one of the problems now, one of the major problems in the city, not directly related to the controller's office, but it is because um, it, public safety and crime going up and uh, gun violence and, uh, you know, uh, robberies and crimes all over the city. Uh, that that's killing our tourism. Why would people want to come here uh, when they could come to Times Square and 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 be hit by a stray bullet? It, it's absurd, uh, and it, it has to do with the losing three thousand police officers from a year ago, uh, because two of my opponents led the movement to defund the police and to uh, cut the uh, police budget by a billion dollars, and they're talking about cutting it even more. Uh, surely the ki- the killing of George Floyd was a, a tragedy. But you shouldn't uh, demonize uh, an entire police department, which are is probably one of the best police departments uh, of any city uh, in the world. Uh, certainly for for something that happened in another state. Uh, so uh, it's unfortunate that our NYPD has been demonized, uh, and we've lost uh, two thousand police officers to attrition. We lost one thousand in the budget last year, and then another two thousand to attrition. So we're down three thousand police officers. Uh, and uh, until we restore the police uh, to its full, we had a, another uh, crime problem. I don't know if you remember in the early '90s. I feel like a historian in the early '90s uh, when it's Dinkins was mine. That's great. <laughs> when Dinkins was mayor, and uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a tourist. Uh, I don't remember what state he was from, but it was uh, I think somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, and he was visiting here for the U.S. Open, uh, and he was stabbed yeah. on the uh, on the subway. And then there was headlines in the Post and the Daily News. His mother, yeah. Dave, do something. Uh, and sure enough, they created, my father was involved in that as uh, Speaker of the Assembly. They started uh, a Safe Street, Safe City program. Uh, and then crime went down. And what did that Safe Street, Safe City program? The biggest part of that uh, component was adding 5,000 new police officers, not cutting police. Uh, and it also had uh, issues dealing with mental illness and, and uh social workers and other people, you know, other money uh, for programs. Uh, in addition to the police, it wasn't just the police, but the police was the centerpiece of it, adding 5,000 police. So the answer is not to have less police. And that's why, actually, uh, I've been endorsed by every police union. I've been endorsed by the PBA, uh, as well as the uh, captains, lieutenants, the sergeants, and the detective union, five separate unions uh, of police. And they've all endorsed me. Uh, and actually, they've said also, in addition to my uh, saying how important it is to maintain public safety uh, and uh, and not demonizing the police. They also say that they're 20% of the pension money and I'm the best person to invest that money. Uh, my opponents would uh, keep talking about uh, pensions of city employees, but they always seem to leave out the police. And I'm not embarrassed to leave out the police. Uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, they're basically the ones that are keeping us safe. And I'd like to see more police, uh, not less police. So, David, Absolutely. you just gave a fantastic answer because you answered the question I was going to ask you about um, the pension and because of crime and because of tourism. So I'm going to go in a different direction then. Um, we've lost thousands of residents to Florida. Now, besides tourism being one of New York's top tax resources, we are the entertainment capital of America, the fashion capital, 
the business capital. We have so much revenue, and yet we've lost so many thousands of people. I remember years ago, and I think it was Mike Bloomberg who said that they were going to tax Long Islanders who work in New York because it's an honor to come in to work in New York. Well, now, with all of the crime, people here, and with COVID, people have learned that they can work from home. So my question is, how are we going to reverse everyone that we've lost? There's the crime issue. There's bringing back tourism, which is a police function. Um, There's having people not leave here anymore. Because if they can go to Florida, where there's no state income tax, why are they staying here unless we are making it a hospitable place for people to live again? Well, we have to uh, reduce taxes to a certain extent, uh, you know, you know, certainly I, we can't tax away out of this problem. We have to create new industries. Uh, I was a strong supporter of uh, bringing Amazon uh, to Queens, to Long Island City, uh, because it would have created as a headquarters, second headquarters, it would have created 25,000 high paying jobs uh, with an average uh, salary of 150,000. Uh, we need more Amazons uh, back in New York. Uh, and it was actually uh, two of my opponents, uh, you can guess who they are, uh, basically, uh, you know, not, not wanting Amazon here and fighting uh, to keep Amazon uh, out of New York City. Can you imagine how we could have used those 25,000 high-paying jobs right now uh, in New York City? So we have to look to create new industries, uh, new tax base, new revenue that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Uh, and, and that's what we, we really have to do. David, you've been a strong advocate Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, David, you've been a strong advocate for religious freedoms and you passed a religious guard bill, which prevents public and private employers from discriminating against employees with religious garb. Can you share with us how big a problem is wearing religious garb on the job? And have you ever been asked to intercede in a situation of this kind? I have. I have. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually um, a law that affects uh, many different religions and communities. It certainly affects the Hasidic community uh, in particular and the Orthodox community with uh, yarmulkes and beards, uh, included facial hair, by the way, so uh, for religious reasons. So, you you know, many of the uh, uniform agencies like police, fire, um, you know, uh, corrections, you know, have had these policies about not having beards more than an inch or something. You could have a nicely trimmed beard, but you can't have a, a beard over a certain period. That is no longer uh, allowed if someone's religion requires them. So it's a, it's a Jewish religion in some cases, the Hasidic uh, and Orthodox population, but it's also the Sikh population. Sikhs is a separate religion. It's uh, it's one of the newer religions. It originated in India, uh, you know, uh, a little over 500 years ago. And um, I, I represent Richmond Hill, which is like the uh, the pocket of. Uh, the largest Sikh population in the Northeast. And uh, Sikhs have been discriminated against for years, uh, wearing beards and turbans. And as a matter of fact, uh, there was a Sikh individual. He was actually a convert to Sikhism uh, from uh, Catholicism. He was a Irish Catholic, born an Irish Catholic, uh, Kevin Harrington. And he took on Singh, Kevin Harrington Singh. Uh, and he used to uh, drive the E-train. He was the, uh, the operator of the E-train at the front of the train. And the E-Train, for those, if you remember, drove right into the World Trade Center. Uh, And during 9-11, Kevin Harrington Singh was a hero because he actually saved lives of people that were fleeing the World Trade Center. And he drove his train backwards and forwards and let people on and and actually saved lives during 9-11. So you think the MTA would have given him an award? 
you know, promoted him. No, they fired him. And why did they do that? Because MTA got hundreds of calls uh, from average citizens saying that there was a terrorist driving uh, the E-train right after 9-11. And why did they say he was a terrorist? Because he looked like Osama bin Laden with the beard and the turban. Uh, and it was actually a different religion. He wasn't Muslim. He was, uh, you know, he was Sikh, which is a separate religion. They're actually like uh, Nazirim in our religion. Uh, they don't, sh- they don't uh, cut their hair from birth. They don't shave. Uh, and they, uh, they often tie their beards up because they're so long. Uh, but they, uh, they put their hair under the turban and they tie it up because the hair is, grows from birth. They don't drink wine. There's, there's a lot of similarities, but, uh, mm-hmm. but certainly it's a religion, uh, it's a recognized religion, and nobody should be discriminated against sure. uh, for their religion. You know, David, you were the only candidate to talk about um, spreading out your department because it's uh, no one knows this. At least most people don't. That your uh, the controller's office has eight hundred people, and you came up with the idea that you're going to spread them out into different boroughs to help foster small business. And as you know, small business is the backbone of America. Uh, can you tell us besides? making it easier, obviously, for people to start businesses. What are some of the um, handicaps that people in New York have had until now? And how can you change that to make it more viable and easier to start a business here in New York? Yeah, absolutely. Good question, Alan. Um, We're a five borough city. Uh, We should be a five borough controller's office. And I'm committed to opening up an office uh, in every borough, uh, specifically geared uh, to helping people in the community, but also helping small businesses, which actually make up uh, over 50% of all the employment uh, in New York City uh, come out of uh, small business. And I want to use those borough offices to focus on the small businesses in every borough uh, and, and all the, the various uh, ethnic communities as well and, and who may have unique uh, needs. And uh, we really have to bring back small businesses before we can bring back the economy. And that's why I think it's important to spread out some of those employees and to have uh, these borough offices that are more accessible, by the way. It's very hard to make an appointment at the controller's office. All, all the jobs, all the people in the controller's office are headquartered in the municipal building right near City Hall. Uh, and it's kind of like a fortress. It's a security fortress and uh, it's hard to get in. You can't just walk in off the street. You have to have an appointment. Uh, I would, uh, obviously we take normal precautions, but uh, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't have to, uh, you know, uh, spend months trying to get an appointment. It should be accessible uh, to the public in each borough. Uh, David, can you please tell us about the Adoptee Bill of Rights? Yeah, that's another one of my, um, you know, important pieces of legislation that became law. Uh, for years, um, well, it was actually the law in New York State since 1938, uh, and it just changed a year ago uh, when the governor signed my bill. Uh, it basically allows adult adoptees, uh, when and I say adult, when they become 18 years of age, have access to their original birth certificate. Uh, and most people don't even know this. I didn't know this when I was first contacted by uh, a series of uh, adoptee advocates, all, you know, and it's, it's a national movement uh, to have your birth certificate, uh, which was sealed in many states. There are about, right. Now there are about 14 or 15 states uh, that now have uh, allowed adoptees to have access to the original birth certificate. Uh, as you all know, um, it's happened to all of us. And even when you go to the doctor's office, the first question people ask you is, what's your family history right. of uh, heart disease, diabetes, uh, cancer? We get this all the time when you go to a doctor or certainly if you have some kind of a medical emergency, that's the first question that's asked. 
if you're an adoptee, you don't know what your biological medical history is. It's really based on, on, uh, on bio, biology and genes. Uh, and now through this new law, people have re- reunited families. They've discovered who their birth parents are. And they've also discovered uh, that they have siblings that they didn't know about. And we've re- reunited families. But you really, uh, and one of the advocates that, that helped get the bill passed that I uh, involved in the, uh, in the advocacy was the Gudith Israel of America, mm-hmm. because they felt strongly uh, that there was a real danger uh, for people not knowing uh, their biological parents or, or siblings, because you could have, uh, you know, siblings marrying each other, not knowing it uh, because of uh, being adopted and uh, being secret. And uh, yeah. birth certificates were sealed uh, at uh, adoption since 1938 in New York State. And this bill to change that wasn't my original bill. It was around the legislature for 50 years. But I'm proud that I'm the one that actually uh, got it uh, passed and signed into law for the first time. Yeah. You know, David, besides doing our podcast, I know that you're on the campaign trail morning till night meeting with every New Yorker. Is there any one top or two issues that keep coming up more than anything else uh, that um, that you are you know, qualified you know, to resolve that the other ones are not? Uh, absolutely. But uh, I'll correct you a little bit, Alan. It's uh, 24-6 because I'm a Shabbos observer. Uh, but uh, but I even even on Shabbos, though, I end up going to multiple shuls and people always have issues anyway. So it's I don't know if that counts. I guess rabbis work on Shabbos. So I guess in that right. sense, uh, you know, I do get a lot of issues uh, in shul. Uh, but um, and I belong to two young Israels, uh, the young Israel of Jamaica States and the young Israel of Holliswood. I'm kind of in between uh, the two. We're right next to each other. But uh, uh, yes, um, there are um, a lot of issues. One is, um, you know, the pension funds, as I said, uh, very important, uh, you know, uh, $254 billion. And it's important that they be invested uh, professionally and, and not uh, to make political statements or, uh, you know, to divest from this, divest from that. And, and it's, it's a slippery slope. You know, once you divest from one thing and make political statements, uh, you know, not co- companies that, uh, you know, don't give health care or companies that uh, don't treat, uh, you know, women or minorities properly. I mean, these are all good things to do, but it shouldn't be the investment in the pension funds uh, should not be contingent uh, on making political statements. You are one of three citywide officials and you certainly can speak out uh, on those type of issues, but it shouldn't be uh, at the expense uh, of our uh, it's actually 704,000 pensioners, uh, both uh current uh, and retired. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's certainly, uh, some, you know, uh, the, the economy and, and uh, our potential budget deficits because of, um, you know, COVID-19. That's probably uh, the biggest issue that keeps coming uh, back and forth. And uh, how are we going to recover? You know, the borough offices, I think, uh, are a good start, but we really uh, have to uh, bring back the economy, bring back small businesses uh, and deal with public safety. Because, uh, you know, if, if, Public safety is not, you know, is not uh, controlled, and we have these constant, uh, you know, shootings and, uh, you know, and gun violence uh, all over uh, the city. Uh, we're not going to. It's going to affect the real estate market. It's going to affect uh, every aspect of small business. It's going to affect tourism, which is one of our biggest industries and has kind of dried up uh, during the pandemic. It was beginning to come back a little bit. Uh, we really have to uh, bring it back. Uh, so these are some of the issues uh, that come up. Uh, 
But uh, we, you know, we're right at the primary. Actually, as you mentioned, early voting starts on Sunday uh, and uh, the Democratic primary is June 22nd. Uh, but the mayor's race has been getting a lot of publicity, but the controller's race has kind of been below the radar. Uh, but I certainly uh, think I am the one that has the, uh, the only one that has the uh, public and private sector finance experience, not just public, but it's private sector finance experience. And I think it's important to have both. Right. David, I just want to go back to something that was touched upon. Um, I understand that you propose to open a comptroller office in each borough so that small businesses and organizations that have contracts with the city do not have to schlep into the city to address an issue they might have. And that's a great idea. Can you tell us about that and how you will choose who heads each office? Well, we got, we got to get elected first. Uh, but, but still, uh, you know, how do you propose to do it? Yeah, we want well, to we want, we, we want to try to pick people from each borough. We want to take people from the community uh, and staff from the community. So, uh, you know, obviously it'd be good if we had somebody that had uh, experience uh, in, in the small business community. But, uh, you know, I don't I don't want to uh, get ahead of myself. But, uh, you know, that's, you know, another major decision is who you're going to hire as the chief investment officer, which is like the top staff position. Uh, that advises uh, the various pension funds on potential investments. I mean, you, you need a team of people, but you need one particular professional, and that person should be t- chosen on professional um, investment uh, history, uh, not based on uh, political reasons or political purposes. So, uh, you know, that's also a major part uh, of investing the pension funds. Okay, great, great. You know, David, if we have time for another question, I've been living in New York now for about 30 years, and I've never seen the attacks on Orthodox Jews, especially in Brooklyn. And once upon a time, at least earlier when I was here, the politicians always came out and they always condemned it in the strongest terms. And we mentioned, you know, uh, uh, and I, I don't have to mention your opponents, but, you know, Chaim Deutsch, you know, uh, got uh, harassed by members of the council. Common Yeager did. Um, what is happening? Uh, are, are Jews being dismissed? Are we being treated less seriously with less respect? Um, what is your take on that? And um, how do we turn that around? Well, I've been speaking out. Uh, I actually introduced a bill to, um, it, unfortunately, it didn't pass yet, uh, but it would basically, uh, you know, there's this no, no bail law for um, only applies to misdemeanors. Uh, and, uh, there are certain categories that are, uh, you know, exempt from that where they have to have bail felonies are, are in that category and, and other, you know, violent crimes. But I, I introduced a bill to add any hate crime uh, to that, even if it's a misdemeanor, because it may just be a swastika one day, uh, but that can lead to violence and somebody shouldn't commit one act and uh, get out right away. Uh, and, um, you know, they, there should be consequences. There should even be jail time. Uh, for these type of acts, because they're not harmless acts. They're not uh, acts of uh, vandalism. They're, they're hate, uh, and one thing leads to another. Yeah, it seems, unfortunately, that uh, there's open season uh, on Jews. And I guess the reason why it's more Orthodox Jews, because they're more visibly Jewish, you know, with either yarmulkes or beards or hats. And, you know, it, they look Jewish, so they're discriminated against, uh, you know, as opposed to not knowing if someone's Jewish or not. So it, it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, I've been advocating against hate crimes everywhere. And that's another reason why we need our strength in the police department. You know, uh, hate crimes uh, should be, units should be increased, not decreased. And it's important. You can't send 
you know, social workers to uh, violent situations. Uh, and that's what a lot of people are arguing. We should eliminate the police and just hire social workers because most of the people committing these crimes, you know, have mental illness. That's great. But do you want a situation? And uh, there are even candidates talking about disarming the police, not having them carry guns because of a couple of lone incidents. Right. You know, when when uh, the hardworking men and women uh, of the NYPD uh, put on their uniforms every day, they endanger their lives every single day to protect us. Uh, and, you know, the, and uh, a lot of families don't know if they're ever if they're going to come back when they put on that uniform in the morning, certainly based on some stuff that's been happening uh, this year. So uh, I think it's important that uh, the police uh, prosecute, uh, you know, or investigate these hate crimes and the district attorneys prosecute uh, them for the full extent of the law and uh, and be uh, and take it very seriously. It's not we're not talking acts of vandalism or, or, or various words. We're talking about even if it is words or, or vandalism, it leads to more serious hate crimes. And it right. seems to me like it's open season. And I think we uh, we have to turn that around. Okay. We are out of time, David. Thank you for joining us today. I will say that with everything going on, now is the time for the Jewish community to unite and help elect David Weprin to the second highest office in the city. And early voting is when again, Bela? Early voting is this coming Sunday. Only a candidate that understands, lives, and feels the issues is the one qualified to go out and do the job right. Thank you to our audience for tuning in. Again, thank you, David. And thank you to vinnews.com for our show being their official podcast. Yeah, thank you. Have a wonderful show. Have a great weekend and good thank luck you, to Alan. you. It'll be great. I know it. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.